decir esa mujer Estoy impresionada cuando se ven vampiresada Sexual, vampiresada, vampiresa mujer. Estoy impresionada. You are listening to CITR FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for the jazz show coming right up with Gavin Walker.
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 on your radio dial and, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. My name is Gavin Walker, and we have uh, an incredible variety of uh, music to play for you this evening, all kinds of different uh, things. We're actually, a little later on, we're going to... Uh, there is um, a recently undiscovered John Coltrane album, although it wasn't the intent wasn't to make an album. It actually was a soundtrack for a National Film Board movie about uh, French Canada in 1964. I'll tell you more about that later, but uh, uh, Mr. Coltrane and the Coltrane Classic Quartet did... Um, some music for the soundtrack of that film. And uh, as I mentioned before, it wasn't meant to be um, a record date, but um, the music is quite incredible. It was uh, recorded in 1964, and of course the classic quartet was at its peak, and there's some wonderful moments on this uh, um, newly discovered uh, CD, which is now out, and it's called Blue World because that's one of the one of the tunes on the album. So we'll be uh, delving into that a little later on in the show. We have other things to uh, um, put out for you for the next uh, well over three hours. So if you can stay with us, wonderful, and if you can. Um, Stay with us for a little while. That's wonderful, too. So we're going to get to our jazz feature. Now, on October 10th, it will be the 102nd anniversary, birthday anniversary, of Thelonious Monk. Mr. Monk was born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and left when he was just a baby with his family, and they headed north for a better life in, of course, New York City. And that's where Monk established himself and uh, learned the piano and uh, all that kind of stuff. The album that we're going to feature this evening is called simply Monk. Now, we all know that uh, Thelonious Monk had a pretty rough time in the 1940s and 50s. He did record, and he recorded a lot of classic albums, but nobody appreciated them. And they were given basically low ratings, and, and, and uh, he was written off as, as uh, an incompetent eccentric and, uh, by most critics and some musicians as well. And with uh, an unfortunate set of circumstances, uh, if, you had, if you worked in New York in, in uh, alcohol-dispensing establishments, uh, as most of the nightclubs were, you had to have what they called a cabaret card. And this was provided by the police department in New York. And this card gave you the right to work in these places. And of course, uh, waiters, waitresses, um, servers, 
uh, and musicians, people that were employed in the clubs, yeah, they had to get a cabaret card. But it could be taken away for a variety of reasons. And it could be taken away if they found marijuana in your possession or um, some sort of uh, felony. And uh, what happened to Monk sometime around 1951, uh, he was in a car with one of his close friends. And um, of course, it was two black men <laughs> in a car. They were stopped by the cops for basically no reason. But of course, the cops wanted to search them. And Monk's friend um, got rid of some of the marijuana by planting it in Monk's pocket. Now, Monk didn't use marijuana. And, of course, they found it. The cops did a search and empty your pockets, guys, and all this kind of stuff. And um, that was when Monk lost his cabaret card and his ability to work uh, in New York. Now, he managed to get some gigs out of town or outside of the boundaries of New York City. That was, that was okay. And maybe some underground work in New York. But it basically hampered him from, from getting work. So not only did he have uh, um, strikes against him, people's attitude toward him as a musician, his records, uh, he, he recorded for Blue Note and Prestige Records, and they didn't sell. And nobody bought them. And, of course, when they were reviewed in the jazz magazines, they were low-rated. And uh, so <laughs> he had a lot of strikes against him. But he persisted. He believed in himself and his music. And, of course, he, he did have uh, musicians that respected him and realized that he was something of a genius. That all kind of changed in the mid-'50s. He signed with a new record label with a wonderful producer who was a big fan of his. And I'm talking about the, the great Oren Keepnews, who owned Riverside Records. And he bought out Monk's contract from Prestige Records and began recording some of Monk's most significant recordings for Riverside. And, of course, uh, once they were issued, they were given great ratings, and there was all of a sudden there was a resurgence uh, of, uh, or, or not a resurgence necessarily, but an appreciation of Thelonious Monk. People, uh, critics came around. Um, he eventually um, got his cabaret card back, so he was able to work, get some steady gigs, and, and put a permanent band together uh, to play his music. And um, things were beginning to really look up. And uh, all throughout the, the 50s into the late 50s, Monk was doing very well. And, uh, of course, people realized his importance in the music. The next big step was the 60s. And he signed with Columbia Records, which was one of the biggest recording labels anywhere. And their distribution was uh, excellent. And Monk began recording for them. And one of his best-selling records was his very first for Columbia called Monk's Dream, an excellent record. But they were, all were excellent. And, of course, he continued to, um, by that time, he had a permanent quartet with, um, there were a few changes in the rhythm section, but basically his right-hand man on tenor saxophone was the redoubtable Charlie Rouse. 
Monk had worked with Sonny Rollins, who was uh, one of his favorites. He worked with John Coltrane. He worked with Johnny Griffin. Um, however, Charlie Rouse turned out to be his long-standing partner on the front line. And Rouse played with Thelonious for over 11 years. So Monk continued to record for Columbia Records, um, just excellent albums. And uh, then he received the honor of being on the cover of Time magazine with a great article on Monk and his trials and tribulations and his eventual triumph. This was a real feather in his cap. Monk was um, also touring the United States, playing all over, and touring Europe as well. Things were looking really good. Monk was also able to take care of his family because that was just as important to him as his music. And uh, financially, things were looking pretty good too for Thelonious Monk. Unfortunately, because he chose to record basically with the same instrumentation, and he wasn't writing a lot of new music, he was simply, he had written a whole bunch, and, and he would simply bring um, pieces that he hadn't recorded uh, before or update pieces uh, for his record dates. A little bit of um, ennui, um, came into the picture. And a few critics, and, and Monk, of course, had by that time become part of the establishment. He was no longer considered the cutting edge. And um, Monk was kind of, yeah, okay, Thelonious Monk. Oh, and the latest record came out. Yeah, it's a, well, it's the same old quartet, you know, and, and uh, it's good, it's excellent. Um, but, you know, there really isn't anything new. There was that kind of attitude that was happening with uh, uh, a number of the critics. And it leads us to this album, which was his fourth for Columbia Records. And as I mentioned before, it's called Simply Monk. And it is with the quartet. Um, but it was kind of treated, sadly, in an offhanded manner. Now, today... Any recording by Thelonious Monk is studied and revered, and um, his genius is totally recognized. But back then, in the mid-60s, yeah, there was that sort of, uh, oh, yeah, same old, oh, another record by Monk's Quartet. Oh, yeah, well, it, yeah, it's good, yeah, fine, you know, we'll give it four stars, and uh, etc. So there was that sort of little bit of a ennui a a attitude that... Uh, uh, was happening on the jazz scene. And this record uh, that we're going to play this evening, this album, is really good. And, and uh, it, sadly, it was uh, the subject of um, a little bit of neglect and uh, unjustifiably. So we're going to hear it tonight on the jazz feature as a tribute to Thelonious Monk. A, a few days in advance, as I said, his birthday is... Uh, October 10th, um, and today, of course, is, is the 7th. But this is in honor of the great Thelonious Monk. So we have Charlie Rouse, of course, his right-hand man on tenor saxophone, unmistakable style and sound. And we have on bass um, Larry Gales, and on drums the great Ben Riley. And these two gentlemen stayed with Monk for over four years and became one of his 
uh, finest rhythm sections. The tunes. Uh, we begin with one called Liza. All the clouds roll away. It's a standard tune given a unique Thelonious Monk treatment. And um, he treats it <laughs> the way Thelonious Monk would. And the second tune is a solo piano effort done on uh, the same time. All of this was recorded in late October of 1964. Um, the second tune is a solo uh, piece, just Monk alone at the piano. And one of his favorite tunes is a standard tune, April in Paris. And you know the tune, April in Paris, Chestnuts and Blossom, all that kind of stuff, by Vernon Duke. The third tune is a children's song, and it's uh, Monk did a wonderful variation on that old children's song called That Old Man, and you'll recognize the melody when you hear it. Then, uh, a wonderful tune by Irving Berlin, lesser known. Monk loved these old, um, uh, old tunes. Uh, that, that sort of became very, very obscure. And this is one of Irving Berlin's more obscure tunes. The tune is called I Love You, Sweetheart of All My Dreams. Yes, so that's tune number four, and that's, um, that's a solo piano. Now, I, I was in error by telling you that tune number two was a solo uh, piano piece. It isn't. It's by the band. So I'll, I'll correct that right now. So tune number four, that obscure Irving Berlin tune, is a solo piece by Mr. Monk. Tune number five is uh, an old standard tune that Monk loved to play called Just You, Just Me. And tune number six is um, a remake of one of his earlier compositions that he wrote in honor of one of his um, great supporters, that was the Baroness Nika Rothschild. And her full name was Panonica. And he, Monk, used the full name, her full name, as the title of the tune. It's dedicated to Nika Rothschild, but it's called Panonica. The final tune is dedicated to his uh, Columbia record producer, the redoubtable Tio Machiro. And he calls that tune simply Tio. And that's the only new real Monk original on this album. So, without further ado, Charlie Rouse on tenor saxophone, Larry Gales on bass, Ben Riley on drums, and of course, the wonderful genius of the piano and of jazz music, the one and only Thelonious Monk, our jazz feature for this evening.
Our jazz feature in honor of the up-and-coming 102nd birthday of the unique and wonderful genius of Thelonious Monk. And we heard an album, one of his many for Columbia Records. This was his fourth uh, Columbia record, um, and it was done in October of 1964. And uh, interestingly enough, um, Monk, of course, was doing by that time uh, extremely well, uh, touring all over the country, touring Europe, and even had a cover um, on Time magazine and a wonderful article on his life and, and career. So things were going very well for Monk and his family and his music as well. And uh, this album was, uh, again, um, a little bit overlooked, I guess, because um, Monk chose to record basically uh, with um, Charlie Rouse on tenor saxophone, who remained with him for about 11 years, and, of course, um, very fine bassists and drummers over the years. And uh, the people involved in this album, of course, Charlie Rouse, as I mentioned, on tenor saxophone, and two relative newcomers in the Monk Rhythm section, Larry Gales on bass and Ben Riley on drums. And both of these guys worked with Monk for about four years and, uh, of course, toured all over the world and North America with him. The tunes on the album... We opened with uh, one by the Gershwin Brothers called Liza, All the Clouds Will Roll Away. And the second tune is a tune by Vernon Duke, a very famous one, actually. And the Monk Quartet gave you their interpretation of April in Paris. And then we heard a Monk configuration of a children's song. And that song was... um, that Old Man. And uh, we heard Monk do that tune with, with the quartet. Then tune number four was one of Monk's delightful solo piano excursions. And he picked an old tune, a really obscure old tune by Irving Berlin. He loved these old tunes. And uh, he actually recorded a couple Nova, um, on other albums and uh, nobody could identify them um, on some of his earlier albums. Columbia, of course, had, uh, had the ways of uh, finding out, but uh, some of when Monk was recording for independent labels, he did record a couple of uh, obscure uh, tunes, and uh, uh, nobody knew where they came from. And <laughs> Monk wouldn't tell anybody either. <laughs> he just knew them. Anyway... Um, the solo piano piece was by, as I said, Irving Berlin, and it was called I Love You, Sweetheart of All My Dreams. That's the title. And uh, tune number five, we bring back the quartet for a standard tune that Monk liked like to play a lot called Just You, Just Me. And then we heard a wonderful Monk composition dedicated to one of his uh, supporters and mentors, the great Baroness of Jazz, Baroness Nika Rothschild. And her full name was Panonica, and uh, that's the title of tune number six, Panonica, dedicated to Nika. And the final tune 
was dedicated to Monk's producer at Columbia Records, Teal Machiro, and it was called simply Teal. So that's the date, October 1964. The album is called simply Monk. And uh, in honor of Thelonious Monk's 102nd birthday. Mm-hmm. So oh, we hope you enjoyed the, the quartet, Charlie Rouse, and of course, one of the great masters of music, Thelonious Sphere Monk. He was born October 10th, 1917, in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and uh, moved to New York with his uh, mom and dad as uh, Monk was still a little baby. And, of course, basically he grew up in New York City. He's very much a part of of NYC. Monk passed away, of course, in 1982. And his music still lives. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. Or, of course, on your trusty computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we'll be right back after uh, a few important, uh, yes, (laughs) important messages. Not that one. It'll be this one. From September 26th to October 11th is the Vancouver International Film Festival. VIF presents the world's best cinema fused with related talks and events in a unique Films Plus model. Annually, VIF presents over 320 films and events, plays host to approximately 400 industry professionals from around the globe, and boasts the largest Canadian film program in the world. Tickets are on sale now. Go to VIF.org or the Van City Theatre box office to purchase yours today. Wake up. Indie rockers Rah Rah Riot play the Biltmore Cabaret on November 2nd. Tickets are on sale now at eventbrite.ca and Red Cat Records. Presented by MRG Concerts, CITR Radio, and Discorder Magazine. at the weather and uh, tonight is uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers off and on throughout the evening and a little windy this evening too with a low of six tomorrow things brighten up a little bit with a mix of sun and cloud there may be a 30 percent chance of a shower in the morning but that's going to diminish and we're going to have a high of 14 tomorrow and then wednesday thursday and friday cool but sunny with lows between 1 and 2, and highs between 9 and 13. So not too bad for uh, those three days. And then uh, Saturday is a mix of sun and cloud, pleasant, 
still with a low of 6 and a high of 14. And Sunday is cloudy with a low of 7 and a high of 14 for the weekend. Actually, it's a long weekend, too, because uh, uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is coming up. It'll be next Monday evening. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a long weekend. So it, it doesn't look too bad for, uh, for the weekend. So there you go. The weather. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. We're going to play a couple of tunes by Miles Davis. And these are rare. Um, They only came out on a box set. And there's an interesting story here, which um, I don't want to go on too long about because the music is is more important than my story. But um, Miles um, decided that uh, his regular band of the early 60s, um, people were leaving the band. Uh, including his piano player, um, and uh, who was Winton Kelly, and his bassist, Paul Chambers. And uh, Miles was looking to form a new band, which he did. Um, Paul Chambers, the bass player, recommended a young man who was uh, just new on the New York scene, and his name, Ron Carter. And, of course, um, immediately Miles took to Ron Carter, and uh, that was part of the group. The other people involved, Jimmy Cobb, Miles' drummer of the time, uh, decided to um, stay on for this tour of the West Coast. And uh, after that, uh, then Cobb was going to leave Miles permanently, but he agreed to do this one tour of the West Coast. The other people were the great... Harold Mayburn on piano, who just passed away, and George Coleman on tenor saxophone, and Frank Strozier on alto saxophone. Now, that band never recorded, but they did appear in Vancouver, and many of us got a chance to hear that band. Uh, It's still talked about today, but unfortunately, there are absolutely no recordings that exist uh, of that. Um, eventually, Miles, um, after his Vancouver gig, he played um, a short gig in Seattle and then played two weeks at uh, San Francisco's leading jazz club, the Blackhawk. And after that, he broke up the band. And uh, he, he kept the tenor saxophonist, George Coleman, and he kept Ron Carter. And the rest of the band he dismissed. And as I mentioned before, Jimmy Cobb had already, was already um, told Miles that he was leaving. So the other two guys, Harold Mayburn and uh, Frank Strozier, the alto player, um, left. So Miles was basically without um, a band. And um, he had a, a recording session lined up in Los Angeles. And he really he was looking for a new piano player. He was aware of Herbie Hancock. 
but uh, he hadn't asked Herbie to join his band as of yet. And a piano player that he was really interested in was Victor Feldman. And Victor Feldman had played with Cannonball Adderley, and he was very, very busy playing lots of jazz in Los Angeles, but he was also uh, playing um, uh, on movie sets, uh, TV shows, all kinds of stuff, and playing on pop music dates. Uh, Victor was very busy and making lots of money as well. And Miles uh, asked Victor to do this recording session with him, uh, and also asked him to join the band. And Victor uh, said, well, thank you very much, but no thanks. I'm very happy here in Los Angeles. I really don't want a tour. Uh, I'm not interested. And Miles kept offering more and more money, but Victor Feldman said, no, I'm not interested. So that was that. And uh, the other factor um, that Miles uh, was going to hire was a Los Angeles-based drummer by the name of Frank Butler, one of the great drummers, um, that didn't happen either. However, the band did record with Victor Feldman on piano, Frank Butler on drums, Ron Carter on bass, and tenor saxophonist George Coleman, who stayed in the band, and of course Miles. Um, these two tracks we're going to hear uh, were never released and very interesting because both compositions are by Victor Feldman, and they entered into the repertoire when Miles eventually went back to New York and found Herbie Hancock and Tony Williams and formed the basis of the second great quintet. These tunes remain by Victor remained in the repertoire. So we're going to hear the, this very rare version of... Uh, of two of these tunes by this uh, quintet. First one is called Joshua, and the second tune uh, became a title of an album, as a matter of fact, Seven Steps to Heaven, and these were never before issued. They were all recorded in April of 1963 in Los Angeles. So here then, some rare items by Mr. Miles Davis and company. Thank you. 
couple of very rare and uh, previously unissued takes of Miles Davis with a very special uh, quintet, sort of a precursor um, to uh, him going back to New York and discovering Herbie Hancock and, and Tony Williams and uh, keeping tenor saxophonist George Coleman, who you heard, and Ron Carter on bass and forming the second great quintet. Of course, eventually, uh, George Coleman was replaced by Wayne Shorter, and, of course, um, the rest is history. So this was uh, a couple of special performances, and, and both of these compositions entered into Miles Davis's repertoire of regular tunes that he played, and they were composed by the pianist on the date, the Hollywood-based genius of the piano, Victor Feldman, and... Uh, 
on drums, another resident of Los Angeles, very fine drummer, admired by everyone, Frank Butler. And, of course, as I mentioned, Ron Carter on bass and George Coleman on tenor saxophone and, of course, Mr. Davis himself on trumpet. We heard Joshua was the first tune and Seven Steps to Heaven was the second tune. And eventually, Miles recorded, as I mentioned before, he recorded those tunes many times with his um, second great quintet. They were entered into the Davis repertoire. Mm -hmm. We're going to move from there to one of my favorite people and favorite vocalists. A lot of people don't know about Woody Woodhouse. Woody Woodhouse was a resident of Seattle. Uh, He was originally from Detroit, and um, we were really good friends for years. I met Woody back in the uh, way back, (laughs) way back when. And uh, we became um, really close friends and uh, got into a lot of trouble together and, and, uh, and fun and played some music together as well. And um, Woody is just one of the, to me, one of the finest male jazz vocalists. He had a natural way of phrasing, he had a beautiful voice. And, um, well, we're going to play some music. Uh, by Woody Woodhouse. As a matter of fact, he recorded this album right here in Vancouver. It was recorded for our CBC radio show, and it was uh, my good friend Don Fraser put this album uh, and this group together. Um, And Don Fraser, of course, a wonderful drummer, and he's very much uh, with us. On piano, Lauren Kellett, and on tenor saxophone, uh, from Calgary, I believe, uh, Jim Pynchon, very fine tenor saxophonist, and Torben Oxball on bass, uh, who re- emigrated to Vancouver from Denmark and, of course, uh, for many years was the leading bassist in Vancouver until um, he injured his arm and had to stop playing, uh, unfortunately. Great, great bass player. And Woody Woodhouse is the singer, uh, backed up by... Don Fraser's Quartet. So we're going to hear two tunes. We're going to, uh, two standard tunes. The first one is the Ogden Nash tune called Speak Low. And the second tune is a marvelous version of one of Woody's favorite tunes, The Masquerade is Over. And then we're going to follow that with a kind of a novelty tune from a different album that uh, Woody recorded in Seattle with some Seattle musicians. I'll tell you who they are after we hear after we hear it. But after we hear the masquerade is over, we're gonna hear the snake. And uh, you'll like that one too. So here then is my old friend, the late, sadly, but great, Woody Woodhouse. <laughs> Speak loud, darling, speak loud. Love is a spark lost in the dark. Too soon, too soon. Speak loud when you speak loud. For 
our moment is swift, like ships adrift, we're swept apart too soon. Speak low, darling, speak low. Our summer day withers away too soon, too soon. I fear wherever I go that tomorrow is here, tomorrow is near, and always too soon. Time is so old, and love is so brief. Love is pure gold, and time a thief. It's late, darling, too late. The curtain descends, everything ends. Too soon, too soon, I wait, always I wait. Will you speak low to me, speak love to me, and soon? You speak love, love is a spark lost in the dark. Too soon, too soon, speak love when you speak love. For a moment is swift, like ships adrift, we're swept apart too soon. Speak low, darling, speak low. Our summer day withers away. Too soon, too soon, I fear wherever I go. Tomorrow is here, tomorrow is near, and always too soon. Time is so old, and love is so brief. Love is pure gold, and time a thief. It's late, 
darling, too late. The curtain descends, everything ends. Too soon, too soon, I wait. Always I wait. Will you speak low to me? Will you speak love to me? Speak love to me, speak love to me. Speak love to me, speak love to me. Speak love to me, speak love to me, and soon. So is love, and so is love. Your words, your words don't mean they don't seem to me. What they used to mean. They were once inspired, but now they're just routine. That's why I'm afraid. So is love, and so is love. I guess I'll have to play Pagliacci, get myself a clown. Disguise and learn to laugh like Pagliacci with tears here in my eyes. You look the same. 
Maybe get myself a funny clown's disguise. Life, love, Pagliacci, with tears here in my eyes. You look the same. admit you are a lot the same yet my heart says no oh no somehow you're not quite the same that's why I'm afraid Rain is over, all over, and so is love, and so is love. It's Love. 
it was on the way to work one morning on the path alongside the lake where a tender-hearted woman found a poor half-frozen snake his pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew poor thing she cried i'll take you in and i'll take care of you take me in tender woman take me in for heaven's sake take me in tender woman sighed the snake she wrapped him up all cozy in a coat of finest silk and then she laid him by the fireside with some honey and some milk she hurried home from work that night and soon as she arrived she found that pretty snake she'd taken in had been revived take me in tender woman take me in for heaven's sake take me in tender she cried she said but if i hadn't brought you in by now you might have died she stroked his pretty skin again and then she kissed and held him tight instead of saying thanks the snake gave her a vicious bite take me in tender woman take me in for heaven's sake take me in tender And you've bitten me, but why? You know your bite is poisonous, and now I'm sure to die. Ah, oh, now shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. Take me in, tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman. Side the snake. Take me in, tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman. Side the snake. Take me in, tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman. Side the snakes. The great, late Woody Woodhouse. We heard three vocal pieces by Woody. The first two were recorded right here in Vancouver with uh, a group of friends of mine for the CBC a few years ago with, uh, of course, Woody um, singing with Jim Pynchon on tenor saxophone uh, Lauren Kellett on piano, Torben Oxball on bass, and Don Fraser leading the band on drums. And we heard um, Ogden Nash's great tune, Speak Low, and then we heard a uh, wonderful rendition of The Masquerade is Over. And then we moved to Woody's um, adopted hometown of Seattle uh, for the last tune from another album, it featured um, Bob Nixon on piano, Phil Sparks on bass, and Patty Patton on drums. And we heard Woody do 
um, a great tune with a little bit of a fable, and it was called The Snake. There you go. One of my favorite people and one of my favorite singers, Woody, the great Woody Woodhouse. We're going to turn now to, uh, well, I'd like to mention that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. Or, of course, if you listen on your computer, it's www.citr.ca for live streaming. And two great websites um, I would like to mention. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And they have um, up-and-coming concerts. They work all through the year. And, of course, they're planning next summer's jazz festival as well. And uh, they have up-and-coming concerts throughout the year. So if you get onto that website, you can see what's, what's going on, what's coming to Vancouver. Very comprehensive website. And also the schedule of Frankie's Jazz Club. And um, I was there last night at Frankie's. It was a great evening with the Groover Quartet from New York City with uh, Mike LaDon, Eric Alexander, Peter Bernstein, and Joe Farnsworth. And uh, that was a cooking night. And, of course, it was uh, because it was a very special one-night-only appearance by the Groover Quartet. Um, the place was packed. And uh, it was a wonderful evening. But uh, Frankie's? has got a, a great lineup, a great schedule. It's programmed by Corey Weeds, and, uh, of course, he takes care of business down there, uh, brings in some really fine people. So if you get on the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, then you'll get the schedule of Frankie's, and you can make reservations. You can uh, plan your time around there to the artists that you want to hear. So there you go. Coastaljazz.ca, that's the website. And, of course, the other fine website is VancouverJazz.com. That's a, a comprehensive website as well. So if you want to find out what's happening and, and, or just you're new in town or you just wanna, you're just getting into jazz and you want to know what's going on here, those two websites are really essential to um, finding out what the scene is like and all kinds of stuff. Um, happening in Vancouver. Now, jazz doesn't get a whole lot of publicity in the newspapers and stuff like that, like as it used to. Um, so these websites are very, are very valuable. Also, I always mention Pat's Pub. Now, they have some of the finest musicians um, on the planet. Most of them live in Vancouver, and they perform at Pat's Pub every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7. Pat's Pub, of course, is in the historic Patricia Hotel in Vancouver's downtown east side. And there is never and never has been a cover charge. So, of course, we're all uh, watching our finances these days. It's expensive place to live, and, and we have to hang, hang on to our, our pennies and shekels and everything else. Um, so Pat's Pub is a great alternative uh, Saturday afternoons, 3 to 7, and it's usually packed out. There's some great music happening there, and never, ever a cover charge. So do check it out in the historic Patricia Hotel. We're going to listen to a couple of tracks from an album called L.A. Bound, and it featured an East Coast guy as the leader. 
He's one of the great unsung heroes of the baritone saxophone. I'm talking about Nick Brignola. And uh, he is one of the great masters of the big horn. Along with Bill Watrous on trombone, he uh, passed away just recently, but one of the great virtuoso trombonists. Dwight Dickerson on piano, John Hurd on, dr- on bass, and Dick Burke on drums. We're going to hear two tunes. The first tune um, was written by Duke Ellington's alter ego, Billy Strayhorn, and it's called Smatta. And the second tune uh, is without the trombone. It features uh, Nick Brignola all, all the way on baritone saxophone. The tune has got uh, an interesting title. It's called Groovin' on Uranus. There you go. Uranus, the planet. Maybe. There you go. Nick Brignola and company. Thank you. 
the boss baritone saxophone of Nick Brignola. And unfortunately, you know, when people talk about the baritone saxophone, they often forget about Nick. And uh, he's uh, originally from upstate New York and uh, was visiting the West Coast to do this particular album. Nick Brignola, master of the baritone saxophone. And we heard Bill Watrous on trombone on the first tune, Dwight Dickerson on piano, John Hurd on bass, and the late, great Dick Burke on drums. And we heard two tunes from this album called L.A. Bound. And the first tune was uh, written by, and with the full quintet, was written by uh, Billy Strayhorn, and it's called Smatta. And the second tune is Nick McBrignola's original um, on the blues and uh, without uh, the trombone. And that one is called Groovin' on Uranus. There you go. Nick Brignola. We'll be right back after a couple of brief messages with uh, some music from the latest and previously undiscovered John Coltrane album. Coming right up, right after this. Independent pop duo Mating Rituals will be bringing their dance rock sound to the Biltmore Cabaret on October 18th with On and Glass Forest. Get your tickets now at mrgconcerts.com or Red Cat Records. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, This Quarter lives. Your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theatre. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of This Quarter Magazine or at rickshawtheatre.com. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenum-speaking Musqueam people. Back to music. In... 1964, of course, was a, a pivotal year for John Coltrane and the classic quartet, which, of course, included uh, Jimmy Garrison on bass, McCoy Tyner at the piano, and the incredible Elvin Jones on drums. Now, this previously undiscovered album was actually a soundtrack now, Coltrane never actually saw the movie, but he was contracted by the uh, Canadian filmmaker, the late Gilles Grou, um, who was then working for the National Film Board, uh, and he was also a big, huge jazz fan. 
and loved John Coltrane's music uh, more than just about anyone else and heard the band in person and actually befriended bassist Jimmy Garrison. So when Gilles had uh, grew, Mr. Grew, Monsieur Grew, had an opportunity to make this film called Le Chant dans le Sac, The Cat in the Bag. Um, it's a French-Canadian production, and it is, you can see it on the Internet, as a matter of fact, if you, uh, if you Google that. Uh, it's on YouTube, and it's, it's quite a, a, an interesting film. It takes place uh, in Quebec, in 1964, after the Quiet Revolution, things are changing in, in Quebec um, quite rapidly. And this is the story of uh, two young people, and they're very much in love, and it show, And the uh, movie is about how their love breaks apart, um, and uh, they become estranged from, from each other over a period of time because of their different views of uh, Quebec society and different priorities. It's, um, it's quite a moving little film. And Mr. Uh, Monsieur Gru asked, uh, contracted, uh, phoned Jimmy Garrison, and he said, do you think that John Coltrane would be interested in um, doing a soundtrack? And uh, Garrison said, well, I'll, I'll find out. And um, um, then John Coltrane got back to uh, Jill and uh, said yes, uh, I'll I'll do it. And of course they negotiated a price, and uh, of course um, Coltrane insisted that they record at Rudy Van Gelder's studio, which was uh, um, his favorite studio. And of course um, um, they were able to negotiate a price with uh, Mr. Van Gelder. So all of this took place in 1964. And Coltrane recorded a select number of tunes to be used uh, in this film. So there's about 37 minutes of music on this album. Uh, Ten minutes was actually used in in the film, and um, it's uh, it's it's very interesting. But then the um, the soundtrack. Uh, languished for many years. No one knew about this. This was simply a side gig for uh, for Coltrane and a little extra money for his for his band and uh, a nice project. And um, they uh, he got together with uh, Monsieur Gru and and uh, they selected the tunes that uh, would be recorded and and so on and so forth, and, and then this session was forgotten. It wasn't meant to be a recording. It was a soundtrack, and um, Gru uh, owned the tape, and it was discovered by his, um, his widow. Gru died in 1994, and it was discovered by his widow, and they did uh, negotiation and so on and so forth, and uh, it's just come out. The album is called Blue World, and we're going to hear the, the title track, uh, along with a couple of other pieces, uh, recorded and also heard in the movie. So, we're going to hear three pieces from this uh, album, and we'll hear some more um, down the road, but I thought I'd play you um, three pieces off the top. These are all John Coltrane compositions, and the first one, of course, is uh, uh, was written for his first wife, 
and it's the very beautiful Naima. The second tune is um, a tune that uh, he wrote and recorded back in about 1960 called The Village Blues, dedicated to, of course, Greenwich Village. Tune number three is the title track, and it's a variation of um, of, of a tune by Harold Arlen, but uh, Coltrane reconfigured it um, and changed a few things in it, and he simply calls it Blue World, so it's it's, uh, basically his tune, and that's the tunes we're going to hear, Naima, Village Blues, and Blue World. John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, McCoy Tyner at the piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. Thank you. 
Three tunes from this uh, recently discovered recording by John Coltrane's classic quartet. It's now available, and it was, as I mentioned before in the preamble, um, recorded as a soundtrack to a French-Canadian film produced by the National Film Board uh, about uh, life in Quebec in 1964. Uh, after the Quiet Revolution. Anyway, the album is called Blue World, and we heard three tunes from that. We'll hear some more uh, music um, on uh, forthcoming shows from this album. Um, the whole album is, is really amazing because, of course, it's such a beautiful period for Coltrane's quartet. And even though I felt that um, there was a little bit of a lid on the performances here in terms of length and so on and so forth. Uh, Coltrane was v and the band were very aware that they were doing a soundtrack. So that's a whole different ballgame from actually doing a recording session. And then, of course, even that is different from playing live. Anyway, we heard three Coltrane compositions. The first one was, of course, dedicated to his first wife, and that was the very beautiful Naima. And then the second tune was called The Village Blues. And the third tune was the title track, Blue World. John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, McCoy Tyner at the piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. Blue World. We're going to change the pace a little bit. And uh, the late... And wonderful Paul Horn on flute with uh, Lynn Blessing on vibes, Mike Lang on piano, Bill Plummer on bass, and Larry Bunker on drums. And uh, this is, a, we'll hear Paul Horn playing the alto flute and also the regular flute on this particular piece of music. This is his own composition from an album called The Jazz Suite on the mass texts, and uh, this is entitled Prayer and Offertory. The great and late resident of Victoria, he spent many, many years here um, in British Columbia, Paul Horn on flute and his ensemble here. Thank you. 
Philippe and wonderful Paul Horn playing uh, with some Los Angeles-based musicians, Lynn Blessing on vibes, Mike Lang on piano, Bill Plummer on bass, and Larry Bunker on drums. And that's, uh, from, that's a movement from Paul's jazz suite on the mass text. And um, that is entitled Prayer and Offertory. Paul Horn on regular flute and also on alto flute, which is much bigger and has a, a deeper sound. Great, great musician. And, of course, he was a resident of British Columbia um, for a long time. He liked it up here and uh, performed in and around Vancouver for many years. Paul Horn. We're going to uh, move now to two pieces of music the same piece, but two different interpretations uh, of that piece. And it's written by one of the great uh, alto saxophonists, originally from Kansas City, Missouri, um, Bobby Watson. And the first um, the piece of music is called In Case You Missed It. That's the name of the piece. And it was written by Bobby Watson. And the first version of this is going to be played by a saxophone quartet called the 29th Avenue Saxophone Quartet, uh, based in New York City. With Bobby Watson taking the, uh, he plays lead alto saxophone, takes the first solo on here, uh, along with um, second alto saxophonist, Ed Jackson, and then Rich Rothenberg on tenor saxophone, uh, takes the second solo, and Jim Hartog is on baritone saxophone. So four saxophones, two altos, a tenor, and a barry. And uh, we're going to hear one version of this tune in case you missed it, the 29th Street Saxophone Quartet. Then we're going to hear the same tune by Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And this is the Messengers from the early 80s with Wynton Marsalis on trumpet, my friend Billy Pierce on tenor saxophone, Bobby Watson, the composer, on alto saxophone, the late, great James Williams on piano, and the late, great Charles Fambro on bass, and, of course, um, the great Art Blakey on drums, who's going to be our jazz feature artist next week. So, two versions of this same tune. Uh, it's called In Case You Missed It. So we hear the quartet, the saxophone quartet, and then that's going to be followed by uh, the jazz messengers doing the same tune. Have fun.
Two versions of the same tune written by alto saxophonist Bobby Watson. The first version of the tune, uh, incidentally, was called In Case You Missed It. First version of that tune was played by the 29th Street Saxophone Quartet, New York-based group, with uh, Bobby Watson playing lead alto and taking the uh, solo on the piece, Ed Jackson on second alto saxophone, Rich Rothenberg on tenor saxophone, and he took a solo on that tune, and Jim Hartog, the hard-working Hartog, on baritone saxophone. And all of that was recorded in uh, the late 90s in New York City before a live audience, the 29th Street Saxophone Quartet. Second version of the same tune was played by Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, version 1981. And, of course, in that version, the great Wynton Marcellus was playing trumpet, Bill Pierce on tenor saxophone, Bobby Watson, the composer, on alto saxophone, the great James Williams on piano, Charles Fambro on bass, and, of course, the mighty fire stoker himself, Art Blakey, on drums. And we heard, in case you missed it, 
by the Jazz Messengers. Incidentally, Art Blakey is going to be our jazz feature artist next week because we're celebrating his uh, 100th birthday anniversary. And we're going to be playing as the jazz feature what many people consider the definitive jazz messenger record and one of the finest that Blakey ever recorded. And it's called Free For All. And it features um, the sextet with Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Cedar Walton on piano, Reginald Workman on bass, and, of course, Blakey on drums. That's going to be our jazz feature album next week. That's what we're going to open the show with, Free For All. And it's if you've never heard this one, it's absolutely astounding was done in a studio, but it has that feeling of live music, that extra energy, and the band was hot. We're going to turn our attention now to someone who is celebrating a birthday anniversary, the great Hammond organist Larry Young. And uh, this was one of his early recordings. Um, he was still working out of the kind of Jimmy Smith style of uh, the Hammond organ. And he later became uh, a much more uh, individualistic player, but he was also, uh, even here, he was more than promising. You know there was something happening in Larry Young. And um, Larry passed away a number of years ago, but he is uh, still revered as one of the major voices of the Hammond organ. So here's Larry Young with... uh, a wonderful tenor saxophone player from Newark by the name of Joe Holliday. And uh, he joins the band here. Thornell Schwartz is on guitar and drummer Jimmy Smith. Not the, the Hammond organist Jimmy Smith. This is the drummer Jimmy Smith. <laughs> okay, and this is a piece of music actually written by Joe Holliday. And it's called uh, Exercise for Chihuahuas. Here you go with Larry Young on the Hammond organ. Thank you. 
We heard two tracks from an early album by one of the great Hammond organists, and that's Larry Young, who's also known as Khalid Yassin. And Larry Young was actually celebrating a birthday anniversary. Oh, it's after midnight now, so yesterday, October 7th. He was born on October 7th, 1940 in Newark and died very young, at age 37, in March of 1978. He was admitted to hospital with some stomach pains and then passed away there. And the actual cause of his death is unclear. Um, and we lost an inc incredible musician. And of course, he had a whole bevy of albums uh, later on in his career for Blue Note. But uh, beginning here, he was uh, recording for Prestige Records. So we heard him with his working trio, Larry Young on Hammond organ with uh, Thornell Schwartz on guitar, Jimmy Smith on drums, and on the first tune called Exercise for Chihuahuas, Joe Holiday on tenor saxophone. Now, he didn't make too many records. He was uh, a great player from Newark and uh, should have been better known, Joe Holiday. And then um, without Joe, the second tune was written by J.J. Johnson called We Dot, and uh, that's it. Um, Holiday wrote the first tune, Exercise for Chihuahuas, and J.J. Johnson wrote the second tune, We Dot. And that's it. Thank you very much. Uh, we hope you enjoyed some of the show, and if you were here for all of the show, that's wonderful too. My name's Gavin Walker. This has been another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR, and uh, we'll bid you adieu for uh, another week. We'll be back on uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, which is uh, next week, and as opposed to American Thanksgiving. That's a whole different ballgame down there. But uh, we celebrate it, too, and it will be celebrated next Monday. And we'll be here with another edition of The Jazz Show, and our jazz feature artist will be Art Blakey, celebrating his birthday anniversary. As a matter of fact, his centenary. And um, Art Blakey would have been 100 years old. Mm -hmm. All right, that's it. We'll see you in seven days' time on behalf of CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. See you then. Bye-bye.
Thank you. 